there's a, a, a kind of a call and response sort of greeting that is going around the Christian world these days in Christian churches that I've known um, and as I've gathered with ministers elsewhere that's very simple um, and you may know it it's very simply when I say when one person says God is good it gets a response of all the time and then again all the time and then the response back God is good you do you, I see some nodding heads. God is good. All the time. God is good. And this is the challenge. This morning, we got to remember that because it's the point in the story where things go wrong. And, uh, and the sin is, in, and sin is introduced into the world. And so we're going to be talking about sin and its consequences this morning. And to do that, to really get an understanding of what it is, uh, we've got to go back to the source. And so we are going back to Genesis and going to read a longer passage than I will normally be reading um, before a sermon. Because I, I, there's nothing in the chapter that shouldn't be there that um, will be a reference point, really, from every, for everything going on, not just this message, um, but we got to know this story. And so, you know, relax. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible, uh, and if you're at home, follow along in your own Bible there uh, or, or on the screen, but listen to the story, and then we'll start talking about some of the details in a few moments. Listen to the Word of God. Chapter 3 of the, of the book of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat any, uh, any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, f- eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then their eyes, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you? That you were naked. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, 
She gave me the, tree, the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall lord over, rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of the life, a tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, this is your word. And I pray as we think about it, you would guide our hearts and our minds to understanding. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we began the story. And we looked at creation, God's design. And that that his creating includes the source of meaning for everything especially because God called it all good and that things were be things were as they are supposed to be things were as they were supposed to be even saying that suggests they're not the way they're supposed to be anymore now things are not the way they're supposed to be. People around the world would disagree about nearly everything else we might say about anything. But virtually everyone seems innately to understand things aren't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. And the world, in some way or another, every one of our lives, in everything, is broken. Now, We are a strong individualistic people who have been taught that if we can figure out what happened 
I'm sure we can fix it. And if we know how things are supposed to be and what went wrong, then surely we should be able to fix it. We'll educate ourselves and we'll work hard and make it right. And so the arguments begin. How are things supposed to be? And, and, and what did go wrong? And, and only then, how in the world can we fix it? And then we try and we try and we try. Last week, we talked about the way things are supposed to be. And really, it just touched the heart of it, that we're made to be in a fully satisfying, fulfilling relationship with God. And and that's where we find meaning and purpose in life. We're made in His image, reflecting His glory, stewarding over the world in the manner of His love, and, and in complete trust in, in, in his power and in his love for us. This passage that we just read, it tells us the story of where things went wrong. And in this story, we will see three things that we will just take a peek at this morning. We'll see what went wrong. And then we'll see, we'll get a glimpse of the consequences of what went wrong. And finally, even after looking at the consequences, we're going to see a glimmer of hope. The first hope in them being made right again. So what went wrong? We call this sin. That's what went wrong. What went wrong is that we betrayed God. We broke trust in our God. And with that, we broke our relationship with God that we were meant to have. See, we see what sin is by what happened here in the details of this story. And and we're going to do this very quickly. And this is is a fire hose sermon, so I'm getting as much out there as I can. The, the, The serpent is Satan. And he did three things that we chose to believe and act upon rather than what God had asked us and told us to do. The first thing he did is he changed our heart toward God. Did God actually say that? That's that's how it begins. Did God actually say that? The original Hebrew suggests that he's not actually, he's not questioning whether God actually did say that. He does believe that God said that. He is questioning whether God has the right whether he has the authority, the, the goodness, he has their best interest at heart in saying that. He's putting in, in her heart the question, is, can God really say that to me? Here, he's, he's, he's virtually sneering at God. He's suggesting God's not all that. And, and he's not in a position to ask all of this of you. And, and the change in the relationship with the be- God begins, it begins with our attitude toward Him, our heart toward Him. In fact, most broken relationships begin with an attitude change, and everything else follows. Then the serpent changed her mind about God. You're not going to die. It's, it's an outright lie. It's just a lie. He's lying. You will die. Because that's what God said would happen. 
but he changes her mind about what God said will happen. And finally, he changes her will of what she, of what we will do. If you eat of this fruit, instead, you're going to see things the way you've never seen them before. You're going to have the vantage point of God because you're going to be in charge of what you can eat and, and can't eat, of what's right and what's wrong. You get to decide. Which means we go from being satisfied to be God's subject to wanting to be God. All this is a, is a picture of not trusting God in our hearts and in our mind and in our will. That very simply is what sin is. It's not about whether you merely believe there is a God or not. The serpent believed that there was a God. It's about trusting God's sufficiency, his, his goodness, his power and love toward all of his creation and to each one of us. Now, sin is a deep concept that we will always be looking at, but the seeds are right here. I, I love also both the Westminster Catechism and, and what John Piper provide as our basis for what matters most, and, and so then we can so clearly see when we miss that. Westminster begins, and most, most of you might know, by stating that our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Remember that one? And, and then John Piper similarly says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That means when we distrust God to be satisfying, when we don't trust Him to be our joy, that is turning away from him. And that is sin. And we see that. We see that so clearly right here in this story. But then we get to the consequences of sin. What happens next? And we see death. And we see virtually all brokenness. This is what happens because of sin. And it's a picture of the way things are now in this world. We call it, this is why we call it a fallen world. Right here in this story, we have a picture of all the forms and of brokenness that we suffer. You see it immediately. First, the first thing that we see is that they hide from God. They immediately know their own shame. And they realize that it's more than that they can bear and they have to cover it up. And shame is, is, is a picture of the breaking of our relationship with ourselves with our own hearts, with the, our own understanding of ourselves and who God made us to be. And then their first response after that is to blame someone else. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. All this does is expose both of them. And, and the immediate result is that every relationship is fractured. Their relationship both with God from whom they hide and when they cover themselves up, and then they blame each other, putting themselves and their own interests ahead of each other. 
Now, God makes it clear when he explains the consequences and he talks about the strain in the relationship between women and men. And we see it even more clearly in the next chapter when, when Cain murders his own brother Abel out of jealousy. Relationships, relationships, they are so much harder now. Including the relationship between man and creation itself. And God describes how our work in this world is no longer productive the way that it was in the Garden of Eden. See the invite, and we see that the environment has gone from something that completely and utterly provides everything that we need to to uh, something that is a challenge and and oftentimes to be feared and or, or conquered, and and work that used to be productive is now going to be an endless struggle. And every one of us in our hearts, we know that feeling of never enough. It starts right here. And finally, we see the severity of the break between humanity and God. They are kicked out of the garden, and they can't come back in. The threat being that they would eat of the tree of life and live forever in this, in this condition of devastation. The consequences of the fall are everything that's wrong with the world and all of creation. Everything wrong in our communities, in our nations, in our, in our families, in our environment, and everything that is wrong in ourselves. But there's one more final and overwhelming consequence that kind of caps it all off and finishes it all. And that is death. Have you ever been to a funeral? I think most of us have. I, uh, my dad died over 20 years ago. And I miss him to this day. And honestly, I never want to stop missing him. And there's something in me and I think there's something in all of us when, these, when we lose these core relationships in our lives, there's something in us that understands this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Death isn't the way it's supposed to be, but it is the final form of suffering. And, and in so many ways, it seems like it's the end of the story, that the story ends here. There's so much to say about every one of the details I've just blown through. Um, But ultimately, see this. This explains the way things are. This explains the way things are. We live in a fallen world. Brokenness is a universal experience. And so in these two weeks, we've seen... God's creation, his design, where meaning comes from and the way things are supposed to be. And we've seen the fall, sin, and and its consequences, especially death. And these two explain the way things are, how the world can be so full of, of life and beauty and meaning. And at the same time, so broken. So the next question is, if we have the way things are supposed to be and what went wrong, 
we ought to be able to figure out how to fix it, right? The world is so full of efforts to either make things right or distract ourselves or insulate ourselves from our brokenness. But remember how the story ended? We're kicked out of the garden and we can't get back in, right? All of our efforts are going to be futile, whether they are efforts to be good, so you know, good enough and worthy enough to, to get back in and eat of that fruit of the tree of life, or to overcome mortality by some means, or to just find a way to be comfortable enough to forget about our problems until we ultimately have to face them because death. None of them, none of these responses, though, are going to fix the underlying problem. And that is the problem of sin. Next week, we'll focus on how God has come to save us from sin and death. And restore us to a new fullness of life. But the seeds of this hope are even here in this passage. For while we turned our backs on him, while Adam and Eve turned their backs on him, he came to them and gently showed them what had happened. He helped them survive the shame, giving them a better covering than the fig leaves. He he covered their shame in a way that they couldn't, providing a sacrifice. Sounds like a hint, right? He gave them a promise also in in verse 315. He speaking to the serpent, God says, He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Here's how Tim Keller describes what's happening in that little picture, that little quick picture. God is saying one of the descendants of Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman, a human being, is going to destroy sin and death itself, but get a fatal wound in the process. All the way back there in Genesis, there it is. This is how we escape sin and death, the consequences of the fall. All these passages point to what we will see in its fullness next week, the way that God provides for our redemption through sending His own Son, God present with us, a sufficient sacrifice, and a full picture of the presence of God's love with us, just like the garden. And here's what we're going to see happen. There's another tree involved. In this morning's story, God, God tells them to obey about one tree, and they will live. God is going to be in another garden with his son, the Garden of Gethsemane, and tell Jesus that if he obeys about another tree, he's going to die. Adam and Eve disobeyed, and they died. Jesus obeyed, and he died. But he turned that tree of death into the tree of life, for you and me. Keller describes what happens there. There's the reversal of the tree sin. What's the tree sin? 
us putting ourselves where only God deserves to be, putting ourselves in the place of God. The tree salvation is God putting himself where we deserve to be, on the cross. Now, these aren't just stories. Life is full of meaning and beauty, and it's messy and hard and painful, and now we know why. Every one of us has stories of what's going on in our hearts. I, a couple of mine real quick. I am so glad that my wife is here from Los Angeles, here for the week, and, and she gets to meet you and be a part of this, and, uh, and, and it just, it's so good to have her here. And, and I just kind of feel a little more whole. And I think those of you who have been married a long time understand what I mean. At the same time, I know that my mom is suffering back in Southern California as her husband of eight years has come to the point in his Alzheimer's that he can no longer safely stay at home with her. And my heart is broken for her. And as I've begun to know some of you, it has been wonderful to share both our joys and our concerns with each other and to encourage each other in real compassion to trust the one ultimately who died for us and risen to new life because things matter. And while they're broken and it hurts, we have hope. Not because we can fix it, but because God has stepped in and has worked it out on another tree. And now, the fall and sin and brokenness and death are not the end of the story. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. In a moment in a garden, we forgot that. We forgot it, Lord. And we are so grateful that you have provided a means of forgiving us. All of us who too often forget that. That you are good, that you are enough, that you are the source of all significance and why we are here. And that we can bask in your glory. And God, you are more than good. You are enough and everything. God, thank you for this story to help us understand the way things are in all of its meaning and purpose and all of its brokenness and pain and in all of our hope in your Son who has come to save us. Lord, may your fruit, your word, bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.